Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning in person. I'm normally online with a few others. Uh, Pastor Simon can't be here this morning, Reverend Lee. Should give him his title, shouldn't I? Reverend Lee can't be here this morning. He's actually over at uh, Grace Community Church inducting uh, Pastor Becky Douglas over there. So you've got me this morning instead. (laughs) And we're going to continue our series in Galatians 3, but a warm welcome to you this morning. Thanks, Lachlan, for leading us. And thank you for acknowledging the first people. I don't hear that too often in church, but I'd like to acknowledge the first people too. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal Nation and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And just remind us, as the Uniting Church, we have committed to walk with our First Peoples, seeking justice and reconciliation. So thanks for doing that this morning. Uh, We are going to continue our series that started last week. Kerry uh, led us, preached to us, shared with us. That was the word I was looking for, shared with us on Galatians 1 and 2, and I'll be picking up in uh, Galatians chapter 3. But as we come uh, to the Word of God, let's come before him in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your Word. Your Word so clearly teaches us who you are. And Lord, in light of that, teaches us who we are that we can be your children, that we can be a part of your family because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you for this letter to the Galatians that Paul penned all those years ago that is so clear on that message that it is only Jesus. It is only through his death and resurrection that we can have life, that we can have a relationship with you. So Lord, as we come to Galatians chapter 3 this morning, I pray in fresh and new ways you would open our hearts and minds to the words of this letter. That you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that we would be reminded once again of what a loving, compassionate, gracious God you are. Lord, we pray these things, not for our own sake, but for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Friends, I wonder, have you ever felt unprepared and totally out of depth when it's come to a task that you have to do? I can think back to uh, my first sermon that I ever preached and I was definitely underprepared and out of my depth. I actually remember on that evening being sick with nerves and, and quite frankly, I had no idea, no idea of what I was doing. Just to, to give you the picture of that, I'd started writing that sermon three o'clock that afternoon. Six o'clock was the service. I'd started writing that sermon three o'clock in that afternoon. It certainly had an impact because the minister of that church at the time for the next five weeks took it upon himself to dismantle every single part of that sermon in his own sermons. 
There was no form, there was no structure, there was no understanding of what Paul was trying to say. It didn't help uh, that the passage I was given was in Romans, perhaps one of the difficult, most difficult parts of the Bible to preach from. I was completely out of my depth. I was underprepared to deliver my first sermon. Years later, I trained a group of young people on how to preach and we actually gave them the book of Galatians, would you believe? And we gave them the book of Galatians because this is such a straightforward message, but there's so much meat and content in this letter. And we actually trained them and we guided them and we actually gave them a structure for preaching that I still use to this day. In fact, I will use it today and if we can bring that up, Mick. And it's this structure. State it, explain it, illustrate it and apply it. Now, uh, in, in my beautiful PowerPoint presentation, you weren't meant to see the second half of that, but that's okay. You're getting a, a sneak peek of where I'm going to go in this sermon. And in this passage this morning in Galatians chapter 3, this is exactly, exactly the formula Paul will use to communicate his message to the Galatians. In verses 1 to 14, he'll actually get to the crux of the message, which is it's Jesus only. It is Jesus only. It's not Jesus plus. It is Jesus only. In verses 15 to 22, he'll then give us an illustration of what he is talking about and he'll use the illustration of covenant. And then finally, in verses 23 to 29, he will go and apply that truth for us in a pretty surprising and amazing way. So if you have your Bibles with you, you may wish to open them to Galatians chapter 3. And Paul starts this passage with a stating of the prime message and purpose of this letter to Galatians. And that message is, it's only Jesus. It is only Jesus that can save you. That is it. That is the message to the Galatians. It is only Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. It is only Jesus. And verses 1 to 14 can be summed up in these four statements. Are you stupid? That's how Paul starts that passage. Are you stupid? Who has fooled you into believing a gospel that is no gospel at all? You are only saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. You are only saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing else. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that. You are only saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're relying on yourselves to fulfil the Lord of God... You are cursed. You are doomed. You are doomed. Paul is saying to us, it is only by God's grace you are saved. Remember how Kerry painted that picture for us last week about the context of this passage, that there was Jews among this church in Galatia uh, saying that you needed to be circumcised, that you needed to follow certain Jewish dietary laws to be saved. Paul is saying, no. No, it is not through circumcision. It is not through adhering to Jewish dietary laws. 
Or, or as Kerry pointed out last week, it's not through being baptised. It's not through worshipping God in a certain way. There is nothing we can do to be saved. It is only through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can be saved. It is what God has done for us, that Jesus went to the cross to die for you so that the punishment of sin was broken, that he was raised from the dead so that the power of sin was removed. Just Jesus, just Jesus, nothing else. But the Galatians had been fooled into a different gospel, one that said Jesus plus, Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus certain dietary laws. And Paul says, you fools. When I was at university, the first time anyway, I got involved in a group uh, that emphasised spiritual discipline and holiness. And this, this group wasn't a cult, but it wouldn't have taken much to push them into that realm. We were expected to have a quiet time every day, which is a great thing to do, by the way. We were expected to learn memory verses. Again, great thing to do. Uh, we were expected to evangelise a certain number of uh, our fellow students during the week. We were expected to have a mentor. We, and we were expected to attend both the big group meetings and small group meetings as well. And this was all done in the context of discipleship. But slowly and surely, this group was pulling me away from my own church and guilting me and shaming me into a gospel that is no gospel at all. It was a Jesus plus gospel. Jesus plus quiet times. Jesus plus evangelising my friends. Jesus plus turning up to small groups. Jesus plus turning up to our large group gathering. Jesus plus mentoring. Jesus plus memory verses. Friends, there's nothing wrong with any of those spiritual disciplines. But this group shunned us, made us feel guilty, isolated us from the people around us. And it actually caused me a deep faith crisis at the time. I thought, if this is what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. And I was just about to walk away from my faith when one of my close friends invited me to attend a conference where once again I heard about the love of God and I heard about the grace of God and his compassion, his forgiveness, and I recommitted my life in a fresh and new way. Friends, it's a very dangerous, slippery slope when we start to go down that slope of saying Jesus plus. It's a very, very dangerous slope. Paul makes it very clear in Galatians. It's not Jesus plus. And I, you can feel that blanking with whatever it is that you think it is that we should be doing. But it will not justify you before God. It will not make you right before God. The only thing that will make you right before God is Jesus' death and resurrection. That is it. And that is what Paul is saying to us this morning. It's only through Jesus' death and resurrection that you are saved. And Paul goes on for us this morning to illustrate his point with, with something that is probably less and less 
uh, makes less and less sense to us today. He uses the image of covenant. I don't know. There'd be a few of us here that have made a covenant. I'm assuming a few of us. I've made a covenant. Uh, the, the one time I can think about making a covenant in my life is when I stood before my fiance in front of my family and friends and I made promises to her uh, that, that you know, I would love and cherish and all that. Marriage is a covenant, right? But outside of marriage, very rarely do we make covenants today. And, and particularly in that time, a covenant was like a contract. And even so, contracts have less and less relevance today. I, I don't know if you follow the rugby league, but it seems like every second player at the moment wants to break a contract for compassionate grounds. But, you know, in, in the ancient Near East, the parties were bound by covenant. Covenant was a promise you couldn't break. And this is the illustration that Paul uses in verses 15 to 23. And he points directly to the covenant God made to Abraham. And you can actually go home today and read about that covenant he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And as you see, as you read that passage, you will see the serious nature of covenants back in the ancient Near East. The parties would actually slaughter animals and they would butcher them in half and they would separate the two halves, and they would walk through the two halves of those animals, and the promise was, if, if I break my covenant with you, may this be the outcome of my life. May I be butchered in half. It's a supercharged, you know, uh, cross my heart, <laughs> hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It's pretty much a supercharged version of that, right? If, if by walking through, I'm saying, if I break my promise to you, or if you break your promise to me, this is what's going to happen to us. We're going to be butchered in half. Serious, serious stuff in the ancient Near East. But what is particularly amazing about this covenant between God and Abraham is that God and Abraham don't walk in between these animals. It's only God. Only God walks between these animals. Go home and read it for yourself, Genesis chapter 15. It is only God that walks through these animals. Why is that significant? Because God is saying to Abraham, this covenant is not reliant on you, Abraham. There's nothing you need to do, Abraham, to fulfill this covenant. It is all on me. And if I don't fulfill this covenant, may I be butchered in half. You know, that might be lost to us. 2,000 years after Jesus uh, walked this earth. But it was not lost on the readers of this letter in Galatia, in Galatians. And friends, we are part of that lineage. We are receivers of that same promise that was given to Abraham, that same covenant. It is not reliant on you. Only God, only Jesus. This concept might be foreign to us, 
in, in a society that breaks contracts all the time. And it would be foreign to us because our contracts when we enter into it are rarely one-sided. I mean, Josh, imagine if someone came to you today and said, I want to give $80,000 to mustard seed. Your, your first question, I don't know, but your first question might be, what do you want me to do for that $80,000? Before you give me the $80,000, what is it that you're expecting from me? And what would happen if that party said, nothing, I don't expect anything from you? Friends, that's a picture. Well, it's not the picture. It's, it's, it's a shadow of the picture that we have here, right? That God is saying to us, this, this covenant is one-sided. I am going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for you. I'll be raised from the dead three days later and you don't have to do anything. It's all on me. By the way, if you do want to give mustard seed $80,000 a year for doing nothing, I'm sure Josh would love to see you at the end of the service. Friends, this is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. The one that loved us so much, he, it's not relying on us. His promise is true. It was true thousands of years ago when he made it to Abraham and nothing has changed today. It's all about Jesus. It's what he has done for us. It is not about us. Finally, this morning, verses 23 to 29, Paul gives us an application for all of this. And to be honest, it's surprising and unexpected. Paul writes that once we were locked up under the law, but now that we are children of God, Abraham's seed, you see the same covenant that applied to Abraham five and a half thousand years ago, roughly that long ago, still applies to us today that it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he does for us. It's not reliant on us. And Paul writes these words in verse 28. He says, there are neither Jew or Gentile. Remember the context of this book? The Jews are coming down and they're saying to the Gentiles in, in that church in Galatia, uh, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the dietary laws. Paul says, no, 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 no. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. There is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female, for you are all one in Christ. You, I, everyone places his, trust in, his or her trust in Jesus is one in Christ. Just let those words sit for you in the, for a moment. There is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. You're all one in Christ. We are either all saved or none of us are saved, friends. It doesn't matter what your heritage is, it doesn't matter if you are saved or free, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, you have been justified through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are free in Christ. We are one in Christ. And here is the thing, friends. Here is the thing. It's either all of us are justified like that 
or none of us are justified like that. You can't pick and choose who is justified through the death or resurrection of Jesus. You can't do that. It's either all of us are justified that way or none of us are. I, I remember being in a church one Sunday where, where a preacher was preaching on, on, the, on the sermon topic, the spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. And he presented the question to us, if, if a gay couple moved into the house across the road for you and invited you over for lunch, what would you do? And I'm sitting there, I'd go for lunch. Why wouldn't you go for lunch? And then he went on to say, you would go because God loves the sinner. And I'm seeing church going, thank goodness God loves the sinner because I'm the worst of all sinners. Thank goodness he loves the sinner because I can't justify myself. It's only through Jesus that I can justify uh, coming before God again. But let's break down that analogy. You would go because God loves the sinner. Who are we in that picture? Who are we in that analogy, friends? We're Jesus, right? You'd go because Jesus loves the sinner. I'm Jesus in that analogy. Who's the sinner? The gay couple across the road is the sinner. Friends, no, I'm the sinner. You're the sinner. And it's only through the blood of Jesus that we have any right to become before him. If the LGBTQIA community are in trouble with God, we're all in trouble with God because none of us, none of us can justify ourselves before God. It's only if we put our trust in Jesus that we can be saved. We're all in trouble. There's a, Mick, I'm going to need your help here now, brother. There's a number of, I don't know if you've seen uh, these memes or, or pictures or whatever you want to call them uh, from from salt and God, but it's a series of very provocative pictures of Jesus watching people's feet. Have you seen these pictures? You haven't seen these pictures. I see them all the time. Um, that one's not very provocative, right? Jesus is washing the feet of an emergency nurse. I mean, a lot of these were, were drawn in the midst of COVID lockdown, and all of us could say amen to that, right? Yeah, of course. I'd wash a nurse's feet, maybe not, but Jesus should definitely wash a Jesus, uh, the nurse's feet. The next one, uh, Mick, yeah, the prisoner, maybe a terrorist at Guantanamo Bay, you're like, oh, a little bit uneasy by that, but then you think back to, to Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats and Jesus says, you know, you were there and fed me when I was hungry, you gave me a drink when I was thirsty, you know, you clothed me when I was naked, you, you looked after me when I was sick, you visited me when I was in prison, you go, okay, 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 Jesus would definitely wash uh, the feet of the prisoner, uh, even a prisoner in Guantanamo Bay. But this last one is the one that really convicted my heart really convicted my heart and made me realise how much further I had to go. Jesus watching, washing Trump's feet. This is one I really struggled with. It was very provocative for me, but it's true, friends. It's true. Jesus would wash the feet of Trump. You know, in my opinion, Trump doesn't uh, even have the honour of, of carrying Jesus' shoes, let alone washing his feet, let alone having Jesus wash his feet. But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. It doesn't matter what I think. 
It doesn't matter how I view the world. This is the God we serve, the God that chose to wash his disciples' feet, the God that knew he was going to the cross to die for us and yet took, over, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around himself and washed his disciples' feet. And yes, he would wash Donald Trump's feet. See, friends, we're all either worthy of God's grace or none of us are. It's as simple as that. We're all either worthy, whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, conservative or progressive. We are all, we are either all deserving of God's grace and love or none of us are. You can flick to that next slide, by the way, Mick. Thank you. I, I don't preach that often anymore. Uh, I'm so busy with other stuff and in fact I try my best to avoid it if I can. Uh, Simon originally asked me to preach next week, next Sunday, and I'm actually in Sawtell next Sunday, and so I gleefully said no. <laughs> so, I didn't gleefully said no. I was thankful to, to say, I can't do that. I'm sorry, I'm already in Sawtell doing mission planning up there. He said, what about the 18th then? And I looked in my diary, and the 18th was free, so here I am sharing with you this morning. But I try to avoid it if I can. Uh, but when I did preach regularly in, in a local church context, after one of my sermons, I had a member of that church come to me and said, Pastor, I love your sermons. And I said, why, why, do, you, why do you like my sermons? And she said, well, you, you, you teach us what the Bible says. Then for dummies like me, you, you give us a story to illustrate what the Bible says. And, 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 you know, for really, really dumb people like me, you, you then tell us what it means for our lives. And I was actually quite embarrassed and, and shocked and a bit offended that my, uh, my, my, my structure to my sermons was so obvious. Uh, but, you know, friends, in Galatians 3, this is exactly what Paul does for his message to the Galatians. He states his message again. Stop being foolish. It is not Jesus plus. It is only Jesus that saves. He then gives us an example for everyday life, a covenant. And he says, in the same way that God made a promise to Abraham all those years ago, where it was reliant on God and not on Abraham, you are a part of that same lineage. You are a part of that same promise today. It's not about you. It's only about Jesus. And then he goes on to apply it for us. And he said that there is no distinction. There is no distinction. You are all children of God, whether you are Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, male or female, whatever the distinction you want to impose, you are all free in Christ. You are all one in Christ. He says, we are either all saved or none of us are saved. Friends, what a great message of hope. What a great message of security. What a great message of comfort that my salvation is not reliant upon me, but on the promises of the one that has proved himself faithful time and time again. That our salvation is realised through the death 
and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.